This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. We are joined on today's episode by Paul Darcy, Senior Vice President Marketing at Indeed. Paul has also served as the CMO of Message One and the Executive Director of America's Marketing and Global Demand Gen at Dell. In this interview, Paul lays out why purpose-driven marketing can drive huge growth and impact. He also lays out how he approaches creativity and what he does to make marketing that lasts in people's memories. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And here in Austin, Texas, at Indeed, well, I guess HQ, HQ South, HQ Midtown. Um, <laughs> HQ Downtown, yeah. Um, Paul, how's it going? It's going great. It's great to be here today with you. Thanks for, for coming into the office. Yeah, we're really excited to do this one. You know, we're, we're fans of Indeed. Uh, we've been following along the journey. Obviously, rapid growth here, you know, city blocks in Austin that are going to be uh, lots of in, Indeed team members. And we're going to get into a bunch of the stuff in your career. We're going to talk about purpose-driven marketing. We're going to talk about core values of successful marketing teams, a little bit of TV ad spend. But first, how'd you get into marketing? So I, I, I did liberal arts education in college. I was actually uh, studied government and women's studies. And I spent a lot of time working also like with every free moment as a photographer on campus and then wound up doing contract work in Latin America, covering everything from like war in El Salvador to child labor in like the jungles of Bolivia. Wow. Um, but, you know, that was a, an initial exposure because I wound up doing occasional photo assignments for for advertising, some commercial work. When I got out of school, out of college, it was a terrible economy and there weren't job sites like Indeed. So it was uh, a pretty rough job search. I wound up working at Prudential in the big insurance company in beautiful Newark, New Jersey. Yeah. And I was in a rotation program. My first rotation was marketing, and uh, I really never left. I um, kept doing marketing roles. I went back to business school and then uh, started doing product management, worked at Apple for a little bit. And then a couple of years into that, switched to pure marketing and have stayed in marketing ever since. It's interesting that you mentioned the rotational roles because we just had an interview yesterday with Alicia Stackle who's talking about the power of rotational roles yeah. and her time at Dell. And you also spent some time at mm -hmm. Dell. So it was funny, serendipitous, that you kind of got your start in marketing in a rotational role. You know, I, I'm also a big advocate for rotational roles. And part of it comes from my experience working with so many people looking for jobs around the world, you know, from Indeed. What I see in so many people's career search is that it's it's impossible to understand all of the options that are out there, you know. As kids, you gravitate to the big brand name options of a totally. doctor, a lawyer, whatever it might be. But but every company and every job is so different. And getting the opportunity 
to get put in a bunch of different things and just try it and see what it's like is the best way to figure out what's right for you. Tell me a little bit about, you know, your time at Dell. Was there, was, I mean, this is a period of Dell and still is one of the, you know, world leaders. Was that obviously, you know, informative of your career, but what were some of the takeaways there? So I, um, I got to Austin in 98 and did startup stuff, um, mostly through the dot-com bust. And it was a pretty pretty brutal set of options that were available. Yeah. Uh, but was usually the one marketer or head of marketing with a really small team and a bunch of small organizations. I wound up getting pretty lucky and getting connected to this company, Message One, where I was hired as CMO pretty early in my career. And we did some really cool stuff with demand gen early on that drove a lot of growth for that business. And message one was acquired by Dell. And that's how I wound up at Dell. Dell was an interesting mix for me, you know, an amazing company with so much history that had grown for so many years, but at that point wasn't growing that fast. And it was just worlds away from the culture and sort of organizations I'd been working with in tiny startups. Mm -hmm. And so there was definitely a little culture shock coming into that environment. And when I got there, I really did not know if it was the right place for me. In retrospect, though, it was it was probably the best thing that has happened to me in my career. I was really lucky to get put into some really interesting roles and pushed really hard in my career. And there were two things that were really valuable about that Dell experience. One was I got global experience, you know, working mm-hmm. in China and, you know, at one point I, I owned all marketing for the Americas, including South America on the business side. But all over the world, I spent time with our teams, first doing demand gen work and then broader marketing work. And I learned a ton because doing startup stuff, you wind up doing mostly the United <laughs> States. Yeah. The other thing is I got a chance to manage larger teams. So you know, before that, I, I, I think at Message One, we got up to 20 marketers or so, which seemed like a good size team. But a year into Dell, I was managing more than 200 marketers. Wow. And it's a it. I was terrible at it from a leadership perspective. It's really, really hard to make that shift. You learn a lot about yourself and what you're good at and what you're bad at. And I grew a ton during that period. Those two things, you know, I, I stayed at Dell for between three and four years. But when I left, those two things became foundations for what I've done since then. And you joined Indeed pretty early. I mean, this is you know, a number of years ago at this point and have kind of been through, been there through a huge growth cycle. What was that like? Yeah. I joined kind of midway through it. It's funny, you know, at this point I've been at Indeed for almost seven years, but I'm still one of the newer people on the leadership team. Yeah, I guess that's true. That makes sense. Um, but we were just a few hundred people when, when I joined, you know, and, and now we're, we're around 9,000. So, We've seen just incredible growth and change. It feels like a different company every six months. And that evolution has been an amazing experience. It's, it's, it's really been a phenomenal opportunity. And it's phenomenal because of that growth and change in the business and the global nature of it, but also because of what we do in the world. Yeah, You know, for most people career is probably the most important thing in their life after family and health. And to be able to do something that touches hundreds of millions of people each month in an area that's so important to them 
has been just incredibly rewarding. I'm glad you brought that up because I think a lot of times marketers, especially you know in technology, have trouble marketing to the to the outcome rather than to the product, right? And something like Indeed is so powerful because when that person gets a new job, when the employer finds the right person, you know, there's a little magic there. There's a little, there's something that is so special and we've all been there and it's that moment like, you know, you have the pit in your stomach when you're looking for a new job and it's, it's just such a, um, it's such a vulnerable time in your life potentially. And then when it actually happens, it's so exciting. Can you talk about like how you think about marketing a product that has such a deep impact and resonates with people like that? It's a, it's a really unusual marketing space on the job seeker side for us because of that weird mix of you know how important it is, the emotional impact, but also a lot of the identity issues that you know swirl around work. I think one, one of the things that speaks to that is that while career and career change is, is, is so important to people, it's one of the deadest social media spaces on earth. Totally. When people look for a job, they're either employed and they're really quiet about it or they're unemployed and they're really quiet about it. And so, you know, work is so personal. It's so different around the world. You know, the way we think about what we do in the United States versus France versus India versus Brazil versus, you know, we're now in 60 countries, all of those other places. Work is really, really different. The dynamics of work, the rules of work, the cultures of work. And so for us as marketers, putting the pieces together, being advocates for job seekers and really understanding their emotional state and where they are and meeting them there is, uh, is an important part of what we do. You've talked about purpose-driven marketing um, in the past, and I love this. You know, obviously, our company's called Mission, so we we love mission-driven stuff. Purpose-driven, you know, same sort of same sort of idea. Why is purpose-driven marketing something that that you're excited about? I mean, I I think in this day and age, it's hard to be a great business without being really purpose-driven. The businesses that are seeing the biggest growth and the biggest impact in the world are ones that start first with passion for solving a problem that matters in the world and think about revenue and profits as something that follows if they really solve that problem naturally. You know, for us, our focus from the beginning has been on helping people get jobs. And that moment, someone getting a job is the only thing that matters to us. And, you know, our optimization of our business is based on on that outcome. From a marketing perspective, you know, having that anchor and starting with purpose is really important. And it's it's informed a lot of what we've done as marketers. Before we came on the scene, there was a long history of job boards and job sites around the world. Monster was one of the first domains registered when the internet came to life. But the thing that was was, was kind of a common thread across job sites all over the world was that they made fun of work. Um, They used humor a lot in Mm -hmm. their advertising. They focused on how terrible work was. And we took a really different approach, which was that we 
you know, we believe that work is really important, that it's meaningful, that it's part of a really productive, healthy identity for people, and and that it's serious, and that great things happen when people come together to do a job, and that we we wanted to elevate the space based on our purpose uh, in the marketing that we were doing. How do you think about advertising spend? I know that you know you've you've written about high ROI for channels that are difficult to measure. You've talked about measuring TV advertising ROI. What is your? I mean, I don't know if you can share your breakdown of spend here, but uh, but just like how do you generally think about it, and where are you putting investments? So. For Indeed, we're in this for the long run. And our goal is to be the place where people all over the world go first to get hired and for it to work better than anything else out there. And we're at the beginning of that that journey. It's still too hard to look for a job and to get hired and to hire people. And so there's a lot that we're working on to make that better and easier. From a marketing perspective, when you start with that as as a foundation, a lot of what we do, I mean, I've, I probably have 14 or 15 teams at this point, so there's a really varied set of things, but a lot of where we invest falls into two areas. We focus a lot on, on building consideration, and that is a starting point, and that is an end goal. Our belief is that our consideration around the world, you know, when, when someone decides they're going to look for a job, you know, whether they think of us or think of someone else first, is going to eventually have a huge impact on our market share. Our product is what really determines that, but you need both of those. Yeah, totally. A product that's not well-known or isn't thought of first isn't going to do that great. And so we have a lot of investments on on, on building a brand so that we come to mind in the right circumstances. Uh, and we measure that based on the consideration improvements. And so so that's one area and then we have a fair amount of investments that are performance related. So getting small businesses to come right on Indeed and hire to fill their next position or, you know, getting job seekers, you know, to do a search today or to visit company pages to research salaries or look at reviews of a potential employer. So we do all of those things. But getting that mix between brand and performance, I think, is the key things for marketers. And you need both of them. One of my core beliefs is that the arbitrage value of marketing is in the things that's hardest to yeah. measure. Search engine marketing just goes to whoever has the highest LTVs mm-hmm. and can you know bid the highest. And it's just priced at market price or what the least sophisticated bidder is willing to pay if that's higher than market price. And it's really clear that you can do amazing things with broad-based media uh, and that the long-term impact is phenomenal from building brands and considerations in terms of the business impact, but it's incredibly difficult to measure. And there are some things, you know, we're big radio advertisers. Yeah. It is impossible to measure the impact of an individual radio spot. We can measure that channel broadly, but uh, there's certainly, you know, waste and misallocation. We do a lot of experiments to try to make things better, but you have to live with the fact that you're never going to get that measurement right. And if that portfolio of our activities is is delivering at a really, you know, the level of impact that we're looking for, then we'll make that investment over and over again. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, it's funny we've we've talked to some some companies that I mean, we're a podcast 
you know, a network of podcasts. So obviously we're bullish on audio content, but we talked to a bunch of companies that were using like CPA deals in podcasting for the past few, past few years. And it's no surprise that those folks who had like strictly CPA deals, like built a $60 million business in three years, just like that, because the arbitrage, all the long tail of all those ads that were not the CPA did a, did a lot of work to move the needle um, for future purchases. And I think, you know, we always talk about this concept of waste in marketing. And if you're not wasting a little bit, that means you're not reaching enough people, right? Mm-hmm. If you have zero waste, that means there's more people that you could potentially, you know, be reaching. How do you look at like that arbitrage and waste as, as a factor of what you're doing? I, I mean, the uh, waste keeps me up at night, that's for sure, <laughs> because it's there. And it's inevitable, uh, and especially in a fast-growing business, it's it's the rate of change and kind of innovation evolution that we need to drive is so fast that we don't always get the time to pause and optimize in the way that we should. And so it, it is tricky. I mean, we focus a lot on investments to get better and better at measurement, collecting as much data as we can about what's working and what's not. And... You know, there are times, though, where we'll get a channel to perform at the levels that we expect, knowing that it it may not be possible to perfectly optimize. On the revenue stuff, you know, where we, if, if we're trying to get someone to come and post a job or someone to, to come and do job search and we're measuring that, you know, that's easy to measure. It's, it's harder to measure the investments that we're making to appear in people's minds over time the things that we do to drive consideration. And so it's trickier to get a benchmark on whether that's moving as fast as we want uh, or if we're getting the the return that we expect because that's a really long journey. Well, and I think ultimately, like it's just not like channels are not nearly as binary as they once were, right? Like it's all interdependent. When you see the ad on TV, when you see the Indeed spot, when you, you know, hear it on the radio or, you know, listen to a podcast with that and you see it online, like you're getting so many touch points. And a lot of the folks, like you were saying, you know, the the passive job seeker, the job seeker that's that's quiet, being front of mind when that person does make the jump is you know, you're marketing to them potentially, you know, 365 days a year, because when they do decide to leave, I don't know what the, I mean, you might have the numbers offhand, like, you know, how long, you know, folks are staying in their, in their job, but, you know, you're talking a potentially, you know, whatever, three year cycle of when you need to touch person for that one moment in time. And in Germany, that might be every 10 years. And in Japan, that might be every 20 years. So it varies a lot around the world, but, but that's exactly right. I, I, I think that, and and we do invest thinking about that, you know, that we are trying to build broad awareness and consideration, knowing that that doesn't pay off immediately, but that that's a really important asset for us and foundational to 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 building the business that we want to build. That's you know a global leader in in this space. You know, a couple of our our philosophies. You know, one is we do try for just continuous broad reach. It's that kind of Byron Sharp school of yeah, marketing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's been really effective for us. So we are trying, you know, we're lucky that for working age people, most people work or want to work. And so we have a really big audience. And so we try to reach as, as much of the world as often as we can. And I think, too, you know, you have some tools that like the salary thing. We, we were recently, we were hiring a few positions and I just remember, you know, going on the salary stuff, like, yeah, you know, a couple times a week in that process, you know, as someone 
just trying to look at, you know, benchmark and, and do that sort of stuff. I think that those are the other things where it's like, you have that continuous, but you also have tools that, I mean, like that, that's a really valuable tool, right? Is to be able to go to that and see, you know, as a job seeker, or as a, um, you know, as an employer to look at those things and like having that much volume is positions you so much better than, you know, than competitors potentially. Yeah. It's, uh, again, if, in our goal and helping people to get jobs, there's a lot of pieces that are needed for that. So getting jobs online has been really important. You know, where we grew first, obviously, as a search engine for jobs that didn't mm-hmm. exist before, you had to go to a ton of different sites. So we brought mm-hmm. all the jobs together. But the evolution of that, there's a lot of information asymmetry in looking for a job. Mm-hmm. The employers have a lot of the power. And so it was really important for us to do a lot with reviews, to let employees review their employers, and then also with collecting salary data so that people can negotiate the best offer. And we think that's really good for job seekers and good for the world. Yeah, absolutely. I want to touch on the the TV piece again really quick, because I think a lot of, you know, marketing leaders that we talk to struggle with spending TV. Should I even be doing this? Um, And obviously, this depends a ton on your product. But how do you look at TV advertising? I would say, you know, I started my career first of all in B2B and B2B, it's just all day long, lead gen and product marketing and sales support. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had the experience I've now when I was a B2B CMO, because I would have shifted a fair amount of my spend to brand. I don't think I would have done TV for the set of companies I would have worked for, but I would have made sure I had a really distinctive identity, you know, really clear brand messaging. And I would have done more brand related advertising to make sure that we would win in the consideration game as much as in the performance execution game. And those things go hand in hand. You know, the stronger your brand, the lower your cost for performance marketing. When I think about consideration building now, you know, what you're trying to do is get people to remember you. You know, as a marketer, you're trying to write to people's long-term memory. It's really interesting to look at the research on this. And and we read a lot of like the studies and academic work that's out there. It's so powerful. It's clear that rational advertising is, you know, inversely correlated with growth. And yet for a lot of CEOs and CFOs uh, and for a lot of marketers, it's a place that they go first. You know, it's it's what are your your key benefits or differentiation or competition. But buying is mostly subconscious and it's mostly emotional. And so the way that advertising works to help people remember you and think of you at the right time is is to trigger an emotion. It's when you make someone feel something that they'll remember for a long time. And so, you know, great advertising is emotional whether that's humor or touching some other real genuine human need or feeling. And so that's been a lot of our approach. When you're doing emotional advertising, you're really limited on the set of mechanisms you have, and nothing works better than video delivered through whatever means. And TV is particularly effective at that. You can do it with audio, but it takes a lot more work and skill. Mm -hmm. You can't do it that well. You can't do it at all with with SEM. You can't do it that well with display. You can't do it 
much with social media. That's not really, you know, visual with sound. So, so we're really limited on the channels that are effective for that sort of marketing. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that there's, there's so much exciting work to be done in video now that, I mean, TV is, is getting weird, you know, Netflix doesn't have ads. I mean, I might, might someday, but you know, Netflix doesn't have ads. Hulu has extremely limited amounts of that stuff. Amazon doesn't have it. So a lot of the listeners might be, you know, cord cutters or whatever it is. And I think that that stuff's going to change. Is that something that is potentially exciting for you as, as you're looking at figuring out ways to reach new people? Yeah, it's a mix. I think that, I mean, first of all, I don't actually watch any TV. And so there you go. I, I don't have a good, good firsthand um, perspective on a lot of this. But when you look at the data, it is amazing how much TV people still watch. Oh, yeah, in for sure. In most developed markets, it's it's in the neighborhood of hours per day. It's phenomenal when, when I look at that data. But it is really clear that younger audiences are changing their behavior really quickly. And so, you know, we have to do investments to um, make up for that. One thing, though, that's happening as a result of this is that good TV inventory, because of declining audiences and also because of a really strong economy that's lasted for a number of years, is getting really expensive. Mm -hmm. And so being able to get sophisticated in how you buy TV is now really, really important to get the impact out of it. So the change is exciting in that it creates opportunities to invent new ways of marketing or to solve tough problems or to differentiate yourself with with those marketing strategies but it's also creating some price inflation that's hard to work around and that you know that makes it harder to get the effectiveness that everyone wants to get from from some of these channels and as you mentioned too uh, in your article that the pricing is nebulous at points like yeah i mean we do a lot of analysis on um just channel by channel, show by show on what the results we see in terms of engagement. And it varies dramatically. You know, there is a lot of opportunity if you have the tools and data and sophistication to optimize buying and, and that can can get unbelievable improvements in, in effectiveness with, with TV for large advertisers. I want to get into the three core values of successful marketing teams. You know, you wrote you wrote a really good piece about this. Kind of why'd you write the piece and, and what were you, uh, what are the three core values? Yeah. So the main reason I wrote the piece is that we've been growing a lot at Indeed and hiring a lot of marketers. And I found that a lot of marketers before coming in to interview were reading my blog. And so <laughs> I wanted it there for people to see so that they would come in thinking about things the right way and be able to be their best in the interview. I, I love for people to have all of the information on what's important before arriving so that they can be their best selves and we can really see them at their best. Uh, so that's why I did it. And the values are really important. You know, So the, the first value for us is just living in the data, trying a lot of things, experimenting, failing, and you know, for any marketer now, it is all about data and measurement. And we believe that if we get the creative right and we have the right data foundation to optimize how we deploy advertising, that we can you know, get results that are multiples of what other organizations that lack that sophistication are able to do. So that that's really important and core to our, our, our business. I think too, for Indeed, being data-driven is, is really important. It's just part of our culture and the nature of our business. We on the site run 
at any given time, if you go to Indeed.com, there's there's probably 500 different tests that are running on the site, and oh, everyone's wow. getting a little different experience. And we use that data to make the the product and everything we do better every day. The second value for me is is transparency, and in particular, not marketing marketing. And you know, transparency is important for me because I just want people. We, we invest a lot of the company's money and we take that responsibility very, very seriously. And I like us to be really the foundation for trust, I feel like, is that transparency around what we're doing, what we're spending money on and the results we're getting. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. But I don't want us to spin it. I want us to have really honest conversations around what's working, and what's not working. I think for marketers, um, we're all really good at turning our craft to our own work. And that's kind of the activity I wanted to make sure was not happening because nothing leads to diminished credibility quicker than, than making up stories about the impact that you and your team is having. And then the third thing is, and, and I think it's especially true for large organizations. For me, collaboration is important and it's really key to the people that we bring onto the team. And in particular, we really like to embed marketers with other teams when they have the center of gravity. Uh, and sometimes that's with our product organization or with, with sales or our client success organization. And when we have the center of gravity, we ask those teams to come and embed with us. And what that means is that we are really just in whatever location, just sitting next to each other side by side. So I'll have a marketer sitting next to a software engineer and a QA person and a product person. And kind of the message that I, I like to deliver to the team as we get bigger is that if you're coordinating with other teams through going to meetings, then something's wrong. You need to go sit next to those people and work together day after day to really have the biggest impact and to be one team working together on things. And so, so those are the three values that are really key to the way we've shaped our marketing team. What is one of the campaigns that has stood out to you in your career that was, that was one of your favorites? Yeah. You know, so I, one of my favorites is, is actually the work that we've done in Japan. And I think it's because no sane American CMO would ever greenlight it. Yeah. And we've gone to a distributed structure where for markets that are really different, we give them a lot of autonomy. And so my marketing team there doesn't need my approval to put those marketing campaigns into market. And they're crazy. Um, <laughs> they're on brand, but they're they're so different. And they would never have been created by a non-Japanese team or agency. And they're some of our most successful campaigns in the world. I, I think, you know, for me, we run TV in about 10 countries and again, marketing across 60 countries. I've really learned over time that how you get the balance right between what's done globally and centrally and what's done locally is really hard and there's no right answers and there's no one model, but I'm often most proud of the things that I've had the least say in that by setting up the organization right where great work has made its way into market and had a real impact, that to me is the stuff that I feel really good about. What about a campaign in your career that Maybe you were uh, was the best learning experience, or uh, or maybe one of the failures. You know, I I think that I mean when I look back at some of the early Indeed campaign work, it's clear we've come a long way. You know, I came in having not run much in the way of consumer campaigns, and you know, nor had the team, and 
we brought in a lot of amazing people. You know, we've we've grown those teams and capabilities with just at an incredible rate. And we've spent a lot of time studying and learning about advertising. When I look at some of the early campaigns, <laughs> um, you know, I would never consider putting them into market now. I could see why they wouldn't be as effective as they need to be. And they were not necessarily right for us. And I also know that the work that we'll be doing a couple of years from now will be much better than where we are now. We keep evolving. But yeah, there's been no thing we've put into market that's been like a disaster. But we're, we always learn from, from every ad that goes out there, in particular TV and video, because you get to do less of it. It's so expensive to produce ads. And every one of those experiments has been really helpful. W- one thing I have learned is that creative testing is not as useful as I would have thought it would totally. be. Totally. That's a great and, point. And maybe others have figured it out. I certainly have tried like every platform on that and approach. And what I found is it's just not predictive of real world experience. It's hard to measure what a campaign will do in terms of long-term memory. And uh, a lot of the methods that are out there have not been been predictive for us. Yeah, I think it's so funny with creative work because you kind of have to have a vision of something that you that the person wants to see in the world. You can't exactly A/B test that, right? Like it's not something that, you know, we always use things like Breaking Bad and these type of shows that were, you know, super well thought out and and structured and have a very clear through line. It's like, yeah, the creators were allowed to do what they wanted to do for the whole show. And uh, it's tough to, you know, you want to give creators constraints because they produces the best work, but you also, you don't need a, uh, you know, a, a board over overlooking all of the creative decisions. Uh, otherwise you're just going to get some water down. I think that's exactly right. And we've spent a lot of time thinking about how to set up the organization to maximize creativity. And we've done a couple of things there. I think that are interesting. One is we moved away years ago from an agency of record and we don't have one. We don't use them. And we don't do that much work with the big holding companies on creative development. What we like is to work directly with great creative people. And they may be different people all over the world, different people on different campaigns. And we've gotten to the point where it doesn't really matter to us if they're a small agency, as long as we're working directly with the creative people versus account management, or if they're freelancers um, and the network of freelancers that we have, or if they're part of our internal team. And we've brought in amazing people from great agencies that are now working for us in-house. And none of this is based on cost. It's all based on just how do we have the flexibility to work with the right people for the right project and to continually be able to get different views and opinions and try different things. And so that's the way we've set things up. And and since we've gone to that model, which takes a level of scale to be able to achieve, uh, we've seen, seen a lot of great results from it. All right, let's get into some lightning round questions. These questions are fast and easy. You did not see these ahead of time. You have no idea what's coming. But they're fast and easy questions, just like fast and easy marketing automation with Pardot. You can go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more about how you can have B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Fast and easy questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Oh, I should have a quick answer to that. Um, I don't have a good answer to that. I probably should. I don't have any games on my phone. It probably makes me boring. Like the things that are on my phone are, I've got a lot of things to like control the lights and music and other things in my house. 
And then I've got a lot of things that are news and information. None of those sound that fun. You know, I'm just going to let that one go. Favorite vacation spot? These days, I actually, I, I, I travel all over and I love traveling all over. In the last year, I've gone to Nepal and Patagonia and all over the place. I'm, I'm a big fan these days of Colombia. Um, I love the people of Colombia. I love the mountains and the jungle. They're just incredible outdoor activities. And then places like Medellin, mm-hmm. which have just come to life to be these just, it's just such an incredible, dynamic, amazing city. Do you have a favorite, well, you don't watch TV, so I'll say, <clears throat> do you have a favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? So I do read a lot of, I do read a lot of, a lot of books and a mix of, of marketing books and also real world books. What I'm reading now is a book called Gilead, which Mm -hmm. is uh, about a preacher, his son and family in the South. Um, That's just beautifully written fiction. And so, but I, I wind up all over the place in the things I read. What's your best piece of advice for a first-time CMO or SVP of marketing? So my, my piece of advice is marketing is not one thing. It's incredibly different from organization to organization. And before you accept a CMO job, I think it's really important to understand what the CEO and the leadership team's view of marketing is and what their expectations are, which sounds obvious, but getting real clarity around that, because typically that won't align with what a marketer thinks the right set of things is. And so you have this choice of, is this the right fit for me, first of all? And then second, you know, how much work do I have to do to to, to bring the leadership team along on the journey to get to the right sort of marketing for the business? What trend or technology or thing are you most excited about for the future of marketing? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think for me, the technology that I'm excited to see continue to evolve is a set of stuff that gives us a clearer view to people who are coming and visiting our sites across multiple devices and identities and yeah. users. Linking that data together is really hard and really important um, so that we can serve people in the right way and in a way that's you know, obviously compliant with, with privacy regulations, which are really important. That, to me, is a foundational data capability that's in its early stages, but where a lot of progress is being made. What question did I not ask you that you wish you had been asked? That's a good question. I, I think, you know, one question maybe is what should marketers read? What should um, marketers read? Yeah. And I've got a couple of things. Thinking fast and slow. To me, great marketing, it requires a really deep understanding of the brain. And so there's three things I think marketers should read. One is Thinking Fast and Slow, you know, by Danny Kahneman, the, the Nobel laureate in economics on how the brain works. That's just revolutionary. It's it's so critical. I do think How Brands Grow by Byron Sharp is required reading. I have everyone at Indeed read that book. And then the last thing is, you know, we live in a, this is what I, I tell my teams and ask of them, is that 
It's amazing to me how little work it takes for anyone to know more than 99% of the population, even of people who do something on a particular subject. And so I encourage people to go read academic research on marketing. I've probably read 20 papers myself in the last week on different subjects around brands or brain research and brands on marketing and identity on other subjects, but just pick what you're interested in and then really get to know that better than anyone else because most marketers have just the most superficial understanding, including myself, and making the effort to go deeper and to learn that stuff and to just be permanently curious and increasing your level of knowledge is is so rewarding. There are so many myths in marketing that are just wrong. And by digging in and looking at research and looking at data, there's just a great path to be better than your competition out there. Awesome. That's it, Paul. That's all we got. That's, that's, that's all we got for today. Anything to, uh, to plug? Where can people find you? So my blog is Science of Revenue, Paul J. Darcy on Twitter, although I don't appear there that often. <laughs> and um, my professional photos, I still carry my black and white Leica around the world and take a lot of pictures. And that Instagram is a theory of gray. Wonderful. Thanks so much for hanging out. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes, and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.